want to and have a desire to raise a child in the things of the Lord. Very encouraging to me. There's hope for the future, doesn't it? So it's good to be here this morning to see Ashley and Daniel and, and Scott up here. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. Just kidding. <laughs> Actually, when uh, John texted me to ask me uh, if I would take on Genesis chapter 4, he texted me, he said, uh, would you mind preaching in our series? And I said, no, I wouldn't mind. And he said, okay, take Genesis chapter 4. I looked at it for a while and I waited because I was hoping he was going to give me the verses, but he never did. So I said, the whole chapter? He said, as the Lord leads, brother. We don't do whole chapters at Wellspring Bible Fellowship, so I don't know if I could do this, but we're going to try. <laughs> well, that's generous of you, huh? So actually, um, this morning we're going to start in Genesis chapter 6 for just a couple of verses, but before we do, we should ask the Lord's help uh, this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come before you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because there is no other way to approach a holy God. The blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus, has allowed us into the throne room. Amazing. The throne room of the creator of the universe. And we are in your presence because of his work at Calvary's tree. And I am so grateful Heavenly Father, that your Son was willing to endure the cross and the hours of darkness which were meant for me. And that on the other side of the cross, he rose from the dead and has given us a great hope, a hope that comes from our faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm not going to ask you to lead us this morning because I know that you always do. The question is, are we willing to follow? And so, Lord, I'd ask for a hearts humble enough to hear your voice and to follow. We ask, Lord, that the reading of your word this morning will have its impact upon the lives of the folks that are here. And I know that you know the need of every single heart here, and I'm grateful. So, Lord, we would pray that you draw us nearer to yourself through your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, I'll turn test for a couple of verses in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is the first use of the word heart in all of Scripture. Heart meaning the essence of someone, the, the center of someone's being. And this is the first use of that word. And what the Lord says about it is that mankind's heart is evil. 
I don't know about you, but I know that's in me. And if you're going to be a faithful Christian, you gotta have, you're going to have to be willing to admit it in yourself as well. Because there's a danger if you don't. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's strong language, isn't it? Desperately wicked. Now, in general, I think that I'm a good person. I don't consider myself desperately wicked. But that's what the Bible says about the human heart. James 4.4 says that, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's not very strong language, is it? You know, all you need to do is be a friend of the world and you are an enemy of God. What we're going to do and see in this story today is a difference between two men. One who has faith and the other who is a religious man but who is a friend of the world. You know, what's interesting is that in Genesis, the first two uses of the word heart are found. The second use of the word heart is in the very next verse. Verse 6, you know what it says? Look at it. It says, And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the first use of the word heart is about a man, mankind, and his wickedness. The second use is how God is grieved. And there we have it, don't we? We have the picture. We have the history of all of mankind right there. God is grieved. And he's so grieved that he decides to destroy the world that Noah lived in at that time. The first two verses, the uses of the word heart depict this great canyon between God and mankind. In chapter 3, the foundation, chapter 3 of Genesis, the foundation was laid for this division between mankind and his creator. Adam made his choice, and the consequences of that choice, we're going to see them in chapter 4. Chapter 4 really becomes a representation for the history of all of mankind. In the world today, we have people of faith, and we have religious people who have made themselves friends of the world system. But as always, there is hope. And we'll see that when we get to the end of the chapter. Turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. We're just going to read a few New Testament verses before we get into our passage. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, verse 4, says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, 
through which you obtain witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Turn over a few pages to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter three, we're going to start in verse ten. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Turn over another couple pages to Jude. Jude, verse 10. But these speak of evil, of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, In these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. The way of Cain. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and his desire is for you but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. The narrative of Cain and Abel moves rather quickly, doesn't it? We're really not giving a lot of details regarding their childhood or how they were raised. Uh, It kind of skips over all of those things. The first two verses are the total sum of what we're given as far as the the boys' history before we get into the narrative of the story. But we can draw some conclusions, and so we want to do that uh, before we begin here. Eve was excited about the birth of Cain. It seems obvious. She called him Cain, which means acquired or gotten. And she exclaimed, I have worked acquired a man from the Lord. She was happy about this, I think. She may have even seen Cain as 
the promised one in chapter uh, chapter 3. That he was the one to crush the head of the evil one. Then Abel is born without any comments from Eve at all, only that his name means vapor or vanity. And perhaps it is that over a period of time, and we're not sure what what age difference these boys have, because we're not told, but it seems to be that by the time Abel is born, Eve has had to live under the curse long enough to understand its implications. And so when she names her second son, she gives him the name Vanity or Vapor. Scripture tells us that Cain is an evil man, while Abel is a man of faith. The Lord Jesus calls Abel a prophet of the Lord. The boys were taught, I believe, the events of chapter 3. Of that, I don't think there's any doubt. In the Hall of Fame of Faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, Abel is the very first one in the list. Abel is a man of faith. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Abel can't have faith until he's heard the word of God. Abel knew the word of God. Abel knew the promise of God and the coming seed, and he believed it. Abel having faith is a clear indication that these boys were taught the things of God. Cain and Abel grew up in the same household. They heard the same things. Adam and Eve, no doubt, told them of their encounter with the serpent and their grave mistake or their sin. They were told of their parents' feeble attempt from, to hide from God and, and cover themselves with their own work with the leaves. They probably were told of the sacrifice of an animal to provide the covering of their nakedness and shame. They knew of the curses. They knew of the angel guarding the way to the Garden of Eden. They know that approaching God was done in a very specific way. The last thing we are told in these first two verses is their occupation. Abel is a keeper of sheep, while Cain, like his father, became a tiller of the ground. Verse 3 starts off that in the process of time, and we don't know, again, how much time has passed. We don't know the age of these boys or the difference between the ages. But the narrative goes that Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And that Abel brings of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat. Lord Jesus says in Matthew 15 that what proceeds out of a man tells us what is in his heart. In other words, actions speak louder than words. Right? When Cain approaches God, he comes to offer the work of his hands. He offers a gift of his labor. He comes with a sense of pride and accomplishment. He comes with a gift that he feels is the best he has, that he ought to be accepted before the Lord. Cain's approach to God is that of a religious man. 
It's part of the world system. Someone has once said that the road to hell is paved with the good works of mankind. Cain is willing to worship, but he's only willing to do so on his own terms. Not not understanding why his hard work would not be acceptable. He comes before the Lord. Perhaps the idea of a blood sacrifice is something that disgusts him. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Or maybe it is that he no longer wants to depend on his brother to get a sheep so that he could kill the sheep, the lamb. Whatever the reason, he takes no thought that he is a sinner and that God is a holy God. He does not understand the great gulf between man and God. He failed to learn the lessons that his parents had taught him. And like all religious people, in their piety and in their thinking, they have plenty of good works. They have religious rituals. They have social actions. But it is totally of their own making. They ignore God's thoughts on mankind and do not realize that their own efforts are actually an offense to God. When Abel approaches God, he comes with the blood of an innocent lamb. Now think about that. Just consider what that's going to take. We don't well, man, this was a long time ago. <laughs> long time ago, I was a I was a counselor at Boys Camp at Camp Perea. Dave Ward was the speaker at the time, and he had in camp a little lamb. He brought a lamb, and the kids, of course, they 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 would pet it, and they got to know it during the course of the week. Well. What we found out is that Dave Ward's intention was to kill that lamb at the end of the week. A bunch of us said, Dave, better rethink that. So he ended up using a a little ketchup packet, you know. But you understand what I'm trying to say. Can you imagine going to God and taking your knife and slitting that? that lamb's throat and spilling its blood, its very life bleeds out of it? That's how ugly sin is to God. Do you understand that? Abel came with faith. He came as a sinner. He came and he placed the death of another, an innocent one, between himself, the consequences of sin, and a holy God. That's what he did. Though there are those who teach that Cain's offering would have been acceptable if it had only been of the first fruits of his harvest. I don't believe that. Think about it for a minute. 
If the theme of all of Scripture is that you cannot approach a holy God without the shedding of blood, why would we think that it's any different in chapter 4? If the gulf between man and God could only be crossed with blood, why would we think that God could accept Cain without a blood sacrifice? I just don't think that that's it. Now, this, this is a story about the difference between a religious man and a man of faith, a man who recognizes who he is before God, and he brings the appropriate sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. The religious man has trusted in himself, while the man of faith puts his trust in God, and that's the difference. God has said, you are a sinner, God has said that if you're going to approach me, you will do it through the blood. Abel follows that up with faith, and he does it. Cain does not. The difference between the two is the object of their faith. Cain has placed himself, he's placed his, his faith in himself and in his ability, and Abel has put his faith in what God has told him. And so the Lord respected Abel and the offering that he gave, but he did not respect Cain or his offering. Notice that the man is linked to his offering. It says that the Lord respected Abel and his offering and did not respect Cain and his offering. To be acceptable to God is to bring an acceptable offering. If Cain, in Cain, we see God's remedy to cleanse mankind from sin rejected. Man's efforts to, uh, to, uh, to make himself righteous are seen. Then Cain is rejected. The scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So Cain, he's upset now. He's not happy. Verse says he was very angry. His countenance fell. So the Lord asked him, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? The first thing I want to just point out here, did you realize that what's happening here? Cain's not reaching out to the Lord, but the Lord is reaching out to Cain. The Lord always is knocking out of the hearts of sinners, wanting them to repent. And that's what this is. This is about Cain coming to repentance. And the Lord's love for a lost sinner is so great that he's constantly calling them. God is always reaching out to lost men. God is always the one who does the seeking. His countenance has, his, or his appearance, his look, it's fallen. In comparison to before, it's changed. And I think it is that when he brought his offering of the fruits of his labor, he had that look of satisfaction and pride. That look that says, I've done good work here. You've seen that look, right? A man goes out or a person goes out and they accomplish something, and you're kind of happy about it. But now his confidence has fallen. God has not accepted him. The Lord tells Cain, that if he would just do well, he would be accepted, and that sin lies at the door, and that sin's desire is to rule over you, 
But you need to master it. You need to master it. In other words, he says, you need to deal with your sin. You need to deal with your sin. Folks, it's no different than you for you and I. If you've ever read Romans chapter 7, you know that even a, a man of faith struggles with sin. But I'm telling you, too many of us allow sin to permeate our lives and we don't deal with it. It needs to be dealt with. That's why God gave us 1 John 1.9, right? He is faithful. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Man, I use that verse all the time. I need to. It's not that I'm going to be judged for my sin, but my sin breaks fellowship with God. Deal with your sin. Cain does not respond to the Lord. Not here, anyway. The Lord is telling him what he needs to do to be accepted, but Cain doesn't want it. Religious people are like that, aren't they? They're not looking to hear from the Lord. They're too caught up in their own piety. Cain blames Abel for the trouble he's having, and out of jealousy leads him out to the field and kills his brother Abel. Interesting, isn't it? Cain, who is unwilling to shed the blood of an innocent lamb, is now willing to shed the blood of his brother. The way of Cain is to kill the truth of God's salvation by killing those who would testify to it. Hebrews 11.4 says, He, Abel, obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying his, of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Did you get that? Listen. <laughs> Faith is forever. You got that? You place your faith in Christ, the things that you do for Christ last forever. No one's going to take that away from you. And Hebrews 11.4 says, Abel's faith is still talking. I was, uh, I read a long time ago, I read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't know how many times I've mentioned this in sermons, but I mention it all the time. I'm sorry if I mention it here, but I'm telling you, if you've never read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, you need to read it, and I'm going to tell you why. I remember when I picked up that book and I read it, I thought for sure I was going to see the world. But that's really what it comes down to. But I was, I was going to see the world attacking born-again believers. But you know what I saw? I saw, I saw the religious people of the world attacking real believers. Down through history, that's what it's been. Let's pick up in verse 9. Verse 9 says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, 
What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and vagabond you will be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out of the out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. When confronted about by the Lord about where his brother was, Cain lies. He lies to God, but he also is lying to himself. This is the way of self-righteous people. They make up a truth that suits them, never attempting to understand the truth. They lie and convince themselves that it is truth. It's their truth. I'm sure you've heard that. (laughs) We live in a society right now that's just upside down when it comes to truth. I I could stand up here right now and tell you that I'm a seven-foot Chinese woman. And you'd have to accept that. Is that crazy? That's the world we live in. All right? Actually, I really identify as skinny. The Lord obviously, the Lord obviously knows what's happened to Abel. He tells Cain that his brother's blood cries out to him from the ground. The Lord then curses Cain and takes away the one thing that he loves. He takes away his occupation. He says, no longer will the ground be able to bear fruit for you. No more. The one thing he's proud of, his one accomplishment in life, and God says, no more, it's not yours. I think God is trying to get Cain to repent, don't you? He's trying to get him to leave that stuff behind. Get rid of that stuff. It's not doing you any good. The Cain is destined to become a fugitive and a vagabond, a wanderer upon the earth. He is to be a lost and cursed man, never finding rest or peace for the rest of his days upon the earth. Cain's religious system. In Cain's religious system, there is no room for repentance, no place for remorse, only self-pity. Because that's what Cain does. He goes right into self-pity. Oh, the punishment is too great for me, he says. In fact, now he's now he's in fear. He's convinced that someone on the earth will find him and kill him. And so the Lord, what the Lord does, you know, the Lord assures him that anyone who kills him will be, will have vengeance taken upon him sevenfold. It reminds me of a verse, it's in Matthew, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, where the Lord says, where Jesus says that 
that God sends the rain on the evil and the good. You know that? That that the evil people, by virtue of their presence on earth and God's graciousness, live because he allows them to. If they only knew. So Lord has promised to Cain that no one will kill you. And if they do, I will take vengeance out on them sevenfold. Now, verses 16 to 24 give us the legacy of Cain. I'm not going to read it just for the sake of time. But also, there's a lot of names in there I can't pronounce. (laughs) Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, it says, and he came into the land of Nod. And Nod means wandering. And there he builds the first city in the scriptures. And he names it after his son, Enoch. Enoch's great-grandson has a son named Lamech. Now, Lamech is the first man recorded in scripture having two wives. And thus, the line of Cain introduces a new morality. Polygamy becomes part of the new social order. Lamech has two sons. Lamech has two sons by his wives, Ada, by his wife Ada, the Jabel and Jubal. Now, Jubal is known as a father of a nomadic lifestyle. They live in tents, and he raises cattle. Some commentaries would suggest that he's come up with a new marketing scheme by moving from place to place uh, selling his cow. I, I, I don't know. But it's something different. It's new upon the earth. Jubal comes to be known as the man who creates music with a harp and a flute, the string instruments and the wind instruments. Music becomes part of society's entertainment media. Lamech's other wife, Zillah, gives him a son named Tabul Cain. He is an instructor of every craftsman in, in bronze and iron. He is the inventor, you might say, of metallurgy, the industrial revolution in the ancient world. Lamech is a man. Lamech eventually, towards the end of the chapter, he kills a man. And he brags about it to his two wives. He boasts that if Cain will be avenged seven times, then he would be avenged 70 times if anything happens to him. What he doesn't understand is that the difference between those two is that God promised Cain. God keeps his promises. But what Lamech is doing here is he is so arrogant that he declares for himself the ability to take retribution 70 times for anyone who would hurt him. In other words, mankind reaches the point where he doesn't need God. Doesn't need God. I can do it on my own. 
That's the legacy of Cain. At this point, we've reached the place of aggressive defiance of God in a very short period of time. Men believe that they no longer need God. But there's hope. Let's read verses 24 and 26. I'm sorry, 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Eve gives birth to a third son, Seth, whose name means appointed or compensation. In other words, what she's saying is, and she says it, She's glad of his birth because this is the son to take the place of the one that Cain had killed. Seth, in turn, has a son whose name is Enosh. And the chapter ends with this. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, in Romans 10 and verse 13, which is really just a quote of a verse in the prophet Joel, Joel, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's hope, isn't there? There's hope. Cain's offspring created a great and thriving civilization characterized by social order and secular and scientific activity. Yet his society ignored God and refused to have any part of their creator. From Seth comes men of faith that leads us to Noah and eventually to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But, I just want to point something out here. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, the only man on the whole of earth Found to have faith is Noah. You know what that means? It means that Seth, though he is the father of those who will come to faith, they've become so corrupted in themselves that only Noah is found to have it left. There's a warning in there for us. There's a warning. Don't let the world creep into your heart. Don't let the world system come in between you and God. Deal with your sin. Listen to God. The things of your life should be ordered in such a way that everything is done with God in mind. Amen? The heart of man is wicked. But God's heart is grieved. And he's reaching out. He's always reaching out. And he sends a Savior. (laughs) Amen? Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, I'm so, I'm so, I am so thankful for your Son, the Lord Jesus. And I think someone has already prayed here this morning. I'm so glad that it's not on me. That it isn't about my efforts. It isn't about what I can do that's acceptable before you, but it's what your son did on the cross at Calvary. And all I do is place my faith in him. And the life that I live, I live in Christ. I live it because I love you and I desire to be pleasing before you in Christ Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, I would just pray for each of our hearts here this morning. Lord, I don't know where these folks are at, but you do. And I'm so glad you do. And I pray, Lord, that whatever comfort they can find from these words, they find it. Whatever conviction they need from these words, that they, that they find it. And I pray, Lord, that you draw each one nearer to yourself. But even more than that, that they are willing to come. So we ask, Lord, your blessing upon the, your word this morning. May it not return to you void. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.